All episodes of It's Great Business reflect the views and opinions of Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group and its guests and do not reflect the official policy or guidance of employers or government entities. You're listening to It's Great Business, sponsored by Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, where great business equals great people. Welcome to another episode of It's Great Business, and I'm Janice Berg-Levy. Today, we have a super, super interesting person to join us. His name is Devin Bergman, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Social Standards, a consumer market research platform. He drives the company's vision, strategy, and growth as it strives to change the way data is used for the consumer in terms of research. Devin has more than 20 years of experience in consumer technology space, including extensive expertise in creating solutions to structure complex data sets and build analytical tools at SaaS-driven businesses. Holy cow. And then on top of that, I mean, Devin has been in the past, he's been director for product management for home entertainment and video at Gracenote. He also helped drive innovative solutions for the PC business at Dolby Laboratories. Welcome, Devin. I'm super excited to hear more about you. And really, you know, we start always with the bio, but really it's, it's the juice behind it and how you got to where you are in terms of your career journey. So welcome. Thanks, Janice. Love that you offered me to be here. And I'm, I'm so excited to chat. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, we're pretty laid back here, which will make it really fun. So tell me a little bit about, we'd like to go into like, what is your purpose? Like, how did you get to, you know, I use words like data and analytics and, and, and people are like, whoa, you know, I'm in my career journey. I might be starting out. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm trying to figure this yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how I got here, it's just, it's, it's never a straight line, right? You, you read the stories of like the, the, the guy, like, you know, Zuckerberg builds this thing in his dorm room, drops out of school, and now he's a billionaire. Like it doesn't go that way for most people, right? And so, I mean, where we, how many people go to college for a degree and end up in a completely different area? But for me, the, the, the track that I was on, you know, if it wasn't for each step of the way, I would have never gotten into data and metadata and structuring all this analytical content. Like it just, I started as an audio engineer. Like I started as a drummer, really. And it's it's just crazy how, you know, I started, I went to school to learn how to, you know, design and code audio and ended up the CEO of a analytic tech company. So it's, you know, it's not like I went to school for this particular thing. There wasn't like CEO school for data analytics, right? right. So it's been a, it's been a, it's been a ride and an amazing one at that. So tell me a little bit about like, like, what did you study? Like you studied, okay. Like, it sounds like some music and then, and then what happened? Like, where'd you go to school yeah, and, yeah. and and how did that all unfold? So, you know, I, I come from a very blue collar family. No one went to college before me. So there's a big pressure to get good grades and to go and get a, a, a really good career. And all I wanted to do was go and be a jazz drummer. And I wanted to be the, the next Dave Weckl or, you know, Steve Gadd. And I remember my dad vividly told, telling me like, you know, you can be a jazz drummer and you can go to school, but your career is going to be, if you're lucky, playing on a cruise boat. He's like, that's your, that's what it typically is. He's like, I'm just being real with you. Not everyone makes it. 
And so, right. you know, I did a couple auditions. I got some scholarships, but he was really like, you know, really trying to push me into the idea of like, go get an engineering degree, go get something you can fall back on and then drum your heart out. And that's what I did. So I applied to, to answer your other question, where I went, I, I applied to the University of Miami. I did early acceptance uh, application uh, for the audio engineering school. So it was an electrical engineering degree, but with an audio emphasis. So you learned the how to build circuit theory, electronics, coding of digital audio. I mean, and, but you had a, ba a basis in the hardcore math principles. It's a true bachelor of science in electrical engineering. I got in and that's what I did. And it was, it's really hard. I mean, it was a whole nother level of math and just the engineering mindset. I was in over my head. I just, it's a hard degree. And I wasn't fully programmed again, back to the idea of doing the math for math's sake. If I don't see the application of it, I have a hard time applying myself to it. I mean, when we talk about career journey in all seriousness for our listeners, yeah. this is real, like, because many people are just starting out or they've ended up in something that they don't even know how the heck, maybe they've got a couple years in and they're like, how did I get here? And they may be like you where they're like, well, wait, wait a second. You know, it's not too late. So keep going. This exactly, is interesting. Exactly. And I, 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 so I go back to the University of Miami and I lecture um, once a year, typically to the school. And I, I tell this story because I want people to know you know, see every CEO out there, every tech startup or every engineer didn't get the best grades. It wasn't, you know, 4.0's Dean's List every year. Um, I fought till the last semester to get that 3.0. Like I, it took me a while. And it wasn't until, you know, I'd have fluctuations up and down. Um, and I, I remember junior year, I had one professor, his name was Michael Scordellis. He, he taught digital audio. Um, and that was the year that it clicked. It was like, oh man, all this math, all these matrices and vectors and all this high multidimensional math can allow me to process speech. I can take something and change it mathematically for a purpose. And that's when I was like, I get excited. The type A in me like jumps out. It's like, what can I build? What can I do? What can I, what can I do with this? It took that light bulb of, oh, this is why we're doing it. I can't just sit there and do a formula for formula's sake. Like it's, I just lose interest. And so it was really finding that application. I, and I do believe universities need to do more applied um, science and engineering earlier in the curriculum. I, I, think you're, I think you just get, you know, people like me that would really... Right. Well, they're trying. And, and I think some school, it depends where you are. You know, there's a lot around STEM, STEAM, um, very active with the Boys and Girls Club. So give a shout out to them because they're doing a lot in terms of, you know, math, science, robotics, technology. So definitely, I mean, yeah. anybody that can get in early just to find your sweet spot. It's so important. And male and female, please. Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. And so when I was at Miami and finishing my degree, and then I got, a, I got into the master's program the, the Dr. Scrodillis wanted me to be his um, apprentice, whatever you want to call it, I forget what they call it at the time. And he TA gave me a or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, yeah, that's what it was. It was a TA. And I was grading papers for him. I was actually like, I was giving classes, teaching some classes, which is insane for me. And I remember them like not even like the school themselves were looking at my transcript, like why this guy? 
Um, but he took a chance on me and I was a year into my master's and that's when Dolby Laboratories, I published a couple of papers and Dolby Laboratories was on campus interviewing. And I remember I never interviewed before. I was so nervous. I thought I bombed the interview. And I got a call from the guy who interviewed me, who was a couple of years out of school himself because they, they did a lot of um, interviewing and, and hiring from University of Miami because it was so specialized. And he told me to come to the, the restaurant on campus to, to meet up with them. And he said, you're my favorite interviewer. I would love to offer you a job. And I was like, what, what? And so he said, come out and do the full interview process in San Francisco. We'll fly you out, blah, 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 blah. And assuming you do well, like we'd love to hire you. And I got the gig and wow. it changed my life. I, I turned 21 in January and in, cause I was, I was ahead in school by a year. And so June, I got hired. So I was like five months in of legally being able to drink, flying around the world for this company. Like it was a blast. But, and how much you learned, right? Oh, Probably. Man, it was, it, I joked that it was an MBA and a half just being at Dolby. Yeah. And within two years of my being there, they went public, which allowed me to cash in and kind of start social standards, honestly. But yeah, it was, it was, it was such an amazing ride. I stayed there for about seven years six, seven years, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had a great trajectory there. I was, I watched an engineering only company turn into a marketing organization and sales organization. And I had a, the ability to spread my wings from great mentors there. Mm -hmm. um, it was just amazing. It was an amazing ride. Yeah. It's, it sounds, I mean, it's a different type of business, but that was pretty much my experience when I was at at and When you, you find a company that's willing to invest in you and really grow and to your point, let you spread your wings and try different things. And I think there's an important point and that is always keep your eyes open, look for these types of opportunities in your career journey. And even though it's not exactly what you thought you were gonna be doing, take a chance once you do the research on that company because chances are you're going to learn things that you never even imagined especially in this day and age right i mean there's just Absolutely. so much moving so many things moving quickly and put yourself go all in because like to, to tag onto that because when i interviewed i think what really impressed the dolby people or the hiring managers and whatnot is i i literally learned like every line of code of dolby digital like the actual, like, uh, the actual compression algorithm. And I was talking details that they were like, whoa, okay. Like they knew I literally had a Dolby plaque that I bought offline from the movie theaters and had it hanging on my wall at home. Like they didn't know it, but I'm the kind of guy that would do that. I just wanted that job. I, it wasn't just a job for me. It wasn't just a paycheck. I went into it like, I, they, I don't, they don't owe me something. I owe them something as an organization. And I, you know, I'm, you know, as I've aged and you know, the way I run my company, the live work balance, I've learned a lot of things from Dolby, right? They had a 980 work schedule. You worked nine days a week and every other Friday you had off. So you had a three day weekend. You're still working 80 hours over two weeks, but it's just that mindset of, right? Like let's give people time to decompress and just enjoy their lives and get away. And it, that, but you worked your ass off and it was, right. it was very much, you know, work, work hard, play hard kind of mentality. Right. And I try to bring that as a company. We, we, we have the summer Fridays where we give the company off to, you know, get out and do the vacations and enjoy. Right. Nice. So I try to, I try to bring a lot of that. And, you know, as, as you go, you learn, like you said, be a sponge. And I've learned from other companies I've been to a lot of things not to do as executives. Right. right. So, it goes well, so tell me more 
over. Okay, so now we we leave that, we leverage, we get, now we have social standards. I mean, there's just a million questions racing through my mind. Everything from how'd you come up with the name? How did you get the concept? I mean, there's just so many things there. But but tell everybody, tell our listeners, what is social standards? Because a lot yeah, of people so, probably don't know. Social standards, and when you hear the the, 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 the origin story, as they say of this, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a book in itself. The, um, the company is, we're an analytics company, consumer analytics company. Basically, the gist of it is we take social data, public social data. So we get it from, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, um, uh, TikTok. So anything in the public domain we see, like anyone can see. And then we analyze what people are saying. But we, the, the, re, the way we analyze it is we structure kind of like this hierarchy and ontology of human speech into product talk. So for example, if someone says Hennessy, we know Hennessy equals cognac because nobody says I'm drinking Hennessy, by the way, it's a cognac. So if right. you want to understand what's happening in the world of cognac or in brown spirits, you need to know every mention of every word and have that in your, in, in your infrastructure to then roll up into it. Just like a skew, like the UPC code of the back of like a can. So you scan that bottle of, of, um, of Hennessy, it goes into the system, Nielsen sales data, when they, you know, they, they collect all the sales data, it tells them that this is a cognac. It's all coded in that barcode. But when we speak, it, that's not there. What if someone says Henny boys? Henny boys tonight, what does that mean? Thanks. Henny boys means guys drinking Hennessy together. So like, you have to take every one of these slang and misspellings and all the things of, you know, linguistically and map them into, an, into this full network, this architecture of linguistic mappings that align to its category, whether it's a product type, a brand, descriptive spaces, color, sense, smells, ingredients, we do it all. It's huge. It's interesting. Over yeah. 20 terabytes of, of data that we're reprocessing every three days. It's huge, massive amounts of data. So, but when we, what we do with all that is then we have an analytics platform that allows customers to go in and analyze that data. What are people saying? What are the new trends? What's up and coming? That brand that's up and coming, where's it stealing conversations from, i.e. market share? So I can predict who my threats are or where my opportunities are. What is the African-American 21 to 25 year old from the Northeast that's into yoga? What ingredient is she into or looking for for anti-aging? Click, boom, there's the answer. So the only way you can get to that level of depth is to structure and organize everything. And that's what we do. And then who, who uses that data? I mean, obviously yeah. I'm interested as just a consumer, but who uses it? What happens yeah. with all that data? So, so we, we, we partner where our customers are the chief growth officers, CMOs, head of sales for and product development for the CPG companies. That's one bucket. That's our core customer. But then what we also do is we work with the banks and the, and the management consultancies. So if you think about like who's, where, where could this data be valuable? Well, if it's valuable for the companies to create products and market and track trends, well, it's good for the analysts of the banks that are setting stock price recommendations, right? All of them are using our data to recommend and you know, buy and sell recommendations for the companies based on what's happening in the market from the consumer, not in the past from sales. And so right. it's just another, another lens. And then lastly, the management consultancies, like the BCGs of the world, Ernst & Young. These are the folks that are helping the chief executives and the sure. C-levels really optimize and transform their business. And they need the, the most up-to-date, latest 
data and ours is luckily. So before you guys existed, right? Yeah. How many years are you around now? About five or six years as a okay. core company. So, but I'm, I'm curious now. So before you existed, what did these companies use? What did they do? It was so it's, it was sales data primarily. But then if you wanted to get the how and the why of what was behind those sales, you needed to go into a survey or you needed to run a panel. And so you have 100,000 households is what Nielsen or IRI or numerator, maybe 200,000 max households that fit the populace, right? And the different demographics to hit statistical viability for doing some sort of panel. But what happens is if you want to get into the real details of how many households, I'm just going to run with the alcohol beverage one for a second, like Jameson and Bushmills, how many people have drank both of those in the last year? You're going to get like six households, maybe. That's not enough to do any analytics, then let alone run a panel or survey on it. So where, where we have thousands a month, right? It's insane how much more data when you think about it from that perspective. So, but that's how it was done. So you were very limited on what you could do statistically to really make sure you're understanding the consumer properly. And as you can imagine, it's super expensive because it's custom. You have to go in and ask these questions. You have to build the questions. And my biggest issue, if you will, with, with surveys where they have a place, but the biggest issue is they're biased. They're always inherently biased because the person asking the question wants a particular answer. And also that's one way. So that's one, one reason it's, mm -hmm. they're biased is, and also I don't know what, I don't know what to ask all the time. How do you get to the unknown if you can't ask the unknown? Right? right. You're always, they're answering, always answering a question versus this kind of free form, just tell me everything you love about or everything you want to say. Right. And that's, and if they did that, they have a text processing issue, just like you would have on social, which is why I believe we come into play and really help surveys down the stream as part of our North Star of, of, of next gen. I think it's brilliant. I think yeah. it's absolutely brilliant because as a, a, a person who ran marketing in a large organization, exactly what you're describing. You're either doing the survey. And by the way, yes, full disclosure, I kind of had a hypothesis, quote unquote, uh, and then I backed questions into it. Whoever helped me do that, we, we kind of had the an, an answer in mind. Or yeah. you do focus groups where it's not even an or, it's an and. Yes. And focus groups you're so busy eating those M&Ms, you don't even know exactly what's happening. But all of a sudden you get an outspoken person who dominates the conversation, right? That's and right. Then, then you walk away and everybody goes, yeah, you know, that guy, Joe, he really, really likes that product. And you're walking away going, I don't think he really, I don't think most of them like that product based on their faces. That's or, exactly right. Right? And that's the other bias, right? Because the you can be influenced, the person actually giving the responses they're influenced by either others in the room or how they emotionally connect with the question versus actually when you when you're looking at it this way or that way when you're doing uh, emissions it's 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 a math it's a, it's a physical thing you can measure how do you measure inclusion does the consumer feel like you're making an effort do they feel like you are adapting to this how do they feel about what's actually happening and how they feel sometimes is more important than what's actually happening on paper. And there's no way to measure that. Now the survey group is going to change. Like to have a same survey group every single quarter is almost impossible. So there's that issue. But the bigger issue they found was people speak from their hearts about the environment. For example, I want to see a clean environment. I don't want to see as much emissions. Did I buy an all electric car? No. Am I buying the 
let's be honest, a little rougher toilet paper because it's more eco-friendly. No. So the reality is our pocketbooks and our wallets don't always align to what we say. And that, and it's not uh, malicious or we're trying to sneak or get one by. We're inherently biased in like in, in how we do things versus how we speak. They just, they don't always, they don't always gel. Therein lies the issue of why something like social standards, where we're looking at the public moment of consumption. What are you actually doing? What are you actually saying? When you're not on in the moment, sorry, when you're not put on the spot, right? you're just living your life. So you're like, kind of have like this lens, again, public domain, there's no privacy. It's just, you're sharing your life if you want it to be seen or you wouldn't be sharing it in the public domain. And now we can actually do a sample anonymized of what's actually happening. Wow. And we think it's the best way to, to, to analyze consumers. I absolutely agree. Yeah, because you're right. Every, we all have bias. Of course we do. And, and this way I'm talking to my friends. I'm comfortable. It's, it's just the way I, like you said, the way you're living your life. It's beautiful. Yeah. So now, you know, how do you define success? I mean, because right now, first of all, your energy level, I mean, you can just tell how much you love what you're doing. So but how do you define success? Oh, man, that's a great question. I want our products to be valued at the level or bigger, greater than what's come before us. I want to build something, create something that is used and valued by the quote unquote masses in our, in our industry and really, and, and come from nothing and be a major player in that space. And that's, that's important to me. And it's important to all of us. We want to, we want to build the next, the next great thing. And we know we're on the right track. It's about just scaling it now. What about you? You personally, how do you define success? I mean, yes, of course, you and the company are entwined, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. that's an absolute. But what about you? Success for me personally is coming to work and loving it every day, regardless of what that is. And however long that lasts for this or what's next. And I just want to enjoy what I do. And to me, that's success. I've seen too many people hate going to their jobs, counting down the time to their vacation. It's, it's really, as long as I'm- Counting coming, the retirement is the other yeah, one too. Yeah, you have another one, right? <laughs> as long as I'm loving what I'm doing, that's success. And the moment I don't, well, then there, we have to figure out what that means, right? Yeah. We're going to switch because people love to get to know our guests better. And we're going to go to a section that we call fun facts. Okay. Okay. So this is just a really quick drill here. So tell me, who is the person you admire the most and why? My wife. She's the glue of this family. I, I couldn't do what I've done without her. I don't tell her that enough. There's a regret. <laughs> Which, and what's her name? That I can fix. <laughs> Emily. Her name's Emily. Shout out to Emily. Uh, shout out to Emily. So yeah, she... She allows me to be me in the truest sense with all my flaws. And, but yeah, I admire her ability to do what she does with this family day in and day out and nice. have her own career. It's nice. Yeah. Okay. Favorite city. Favorite city is New York city. Yeah. I don't think that deserves, I don't I think that needs a, a why. <laughs> no why, no why. Got it. Favorite food. Favorite food. I'm going to say spaghetti carbonara, Ooh. probably up there. Definitely top three. But I, okay. I think my son and I share that one. Nice. Not, 
that's a that's a that's a uh, that's a that's a treat. That's not something you're eating every week. How old's your son? He's eleven. Okay. All right. Eleven. Yeah. All right. So, how can listeners reach you? They can reach out via our website. We have a we have a contact form if they want to get more information about the company. If they'd like to reach out to me, I'm on LinkedIn, Devin Bergman. I think I'm the only one on LinkedIn with that name. But um, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best way to connect with me and you know message me and love to hear from you all. Fantastic. This has been so fun. I haven't stopped smiling. <laughs> and, Likewise. Uh, yeah. And, um, and we really appreciate your time. I think that many of our listeners will really benefit from both the business advice as well as the career advice and be inspired to go out and, you know, grab whatever they're meant to, to get and the joy in their life. Well, so, that's been mine, Janice. Thank you so much. Thank really you. Fun. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening to It's Great Business. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Also, check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And visit us on the web at intracoastalmarketingstrategy.com.